How is everybody? Good. We're going to start talking about having a culture of miracles. Last week, I started talking to you about the fact that the church, I believe, is called to influence culture. Culture is the shared values, ideas, goals, and purposes of a group of people. It's important, in my view, that we not only try to get people to believe in Jesus, which we need to do, but that we care about the various aspects of society and try to influence those as Christians. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. We need Christians in every part of life. This week was the March for Life. How many of you paid attention to any of that? The reason that abortion is legal in this country is because it's culturally acceptable. I'm happy that we're trying to vote people into office and things that, that can change the law, but the only way that, that abortion will permanently be done away with is if the culture shifts. I don't know if this is for anybody in here or, or who it's for, but I felt that God was impressing on me that we need, we, we really desperately need artists and entertainers and um, writers in particular that have Christian values that aren't, aren't trying to create propaganda. Nobody wants to watch propaganda. Because, I mean, that's a lot of, I'm not trying to be critical, but a lot of Christian TV is not very good. Because it's, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's, it's, it's propaganda first and it's beauty second. And, and it, the beauty is the persuasive part. So it's got to be beautiful first, but it's got to carry Christian values. So we really need people in parts of the entertainment realm that can positively influence culture by telling stories with Christian values. And so that's just a small part of, of this whole cultural reformation thing. But I want to talk to you about having a culture of the miraculous. And I, I believe that miracles are normal. This is actually what Jesus was trying to preach to us. In Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's useful to understand what this meant, or at least what the Jewish people at that time probably thought about when Jesus said this. During that time period, the Jewish people, and probably still today, they believed in two time periods. The Greek word for um, world is, is the word ion, A-I-O-N, and it means age or time period. They believed in the present time in which they lived, and then they believed that there was a coming time period, a coming kingdom, a messianic kingdom, when things would be a lot better. They probably had a difficult time fully articulating what that would look like, but to them, by looking at their scripture, they thought, well, it'll be like when David was king. And you remember during the time that they were, that Jesus was alive, they were under the oppressive rule of Rome. And their hope was that Jesus would overthrow that rule and, and restore the nation of Israel to its autonomy, and it would have been an awesome time. 
In Matthew 24, for example, when the um, uh, disciples are asking Jesus, when's the end of the world? They weren't asking, when is the zombie apocalypse? They, they weren't asking, when is there going to be a great cataclysm and, and the world will cease to end, or cease to be, I mean. They were asking, when's th this messianic age going to start? When Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's speaking into that. He's saying, look, the kingdom is right now. But he does something interesting. He doesn't tie it to any sort of militaristic action. He doesn't tie it to overthrowing the Roman government. In fact, he ties it to healing. It's really interesting. Look at Luke 10, verses 8 and 9. Jesus told the disciples, In whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is near unto you. Yeah. Let's read one more. Skip over to chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus is talking about casting out demons. He says, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. That's a good word. He's saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he gives an example, which is that healing is now possible. That miracles are possible. The word repent in the Greek is metanoia. It means change your mind. It doesn't mean feel like a terrible person. It means change your mind. He says, change how you think, because there is now another world that you have access to if you'll change how you think. And this world can superimpose itself on the physical and change what's going on here. Change how you think because there is a spiritual kingdom that I'm inaugurating which has unlimited resources, unlimited power, and unlimited strength. But the gateway into that is to change how you think. Letter B, I said it this way. Change how you're thinking about life and this present world because you now have access to another realm full of unlimited potential. What's an example of that look like, Pastor? Well, I asked God about this years ago, and I was saying, God, what's it mean to, to think from heaven and to, to do like Jesus and be aware of this unlimited kingdom around me? I said, what's heaven like? And I heard really clearly a strange statement. God just said, in heaven, there's no opportunity cost. And I had to remember my high school economics. If you remember that class, opportunity cost is the phrase that we use to describe this reality that we live in a world of scarcity. There is limited resources, limited time, limited money, etc. If you do one thing, even if it doesn't cost you money, like being here at church, it, it doesn't cost you any money, you can come here for free, but it, there is still a lost opportunity. You could be home sleeping. Some people are. <laughs> but they miss the opportunity to be here. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? You have limited time on the planet. Everything you do comes with an opportunity cost because you lose the opportunity to do something else. In heaven, it's not that way. Because in heaven, there's unlimited time, unlimited resources. This is why Jesus thought different than the rest of us. Because he's aware of that world. In fact, in John 4, actually in John 3, Jesus says, no man has descended except the Son of Man who has ascended and actually is in heaven. Jesus said, I'm already in heaven right now. This is why when Jesus looked at five loaves and two fish, he thought, no problem, that's enough. It's actually how he thought. He's thinking with an awareness of unlimited potential. Obviously, we still have limited time on the planet, but that world imposes itself onto this one. I asked God, how does that, how does that help me now? And he said, well, Matthew 6.33 says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added unto you. What does that mean? It means that seeking God first does not cost you the opportunity to do anything else you care about. Seeking God first does not cost you the opportunity to put your family first. Seeking your ministry first does. But genuinely seeking God first, it actually gives you the opportunity to put your family first. He says, all these other things that you're worried about, if you'll just focus on me, I've got unlimited resources, I can, in, I can increase your time. How many of you have noticed that really, if you'll, if you'll take time and spend it with Jesus, you can get more done during the day? It's true. It works. But you have to change the way that you think. Number three, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's already a spiritual kingdom all around us. Therefore, miracles are normal. The renewed mind believes that miracles are reasonable and the renewed heart genuinely expects them to occur. This is the difference. I, for a long time, had a theology of miracles. I, I thought right about it but I had no genuine expectation in my heart that they would actually happen. And until that shifted, I didn't see very many. Now, that's not a criticism of me or anybody else, but it's showing you that mind renewal, when the Bible talks about that in Romans 12 too, it's talking about more than, than how you think in your conscious mind. It's talking about your heart or what psychology would say your, your subconscious. One of the ways you can tell is what's the first movement of your thinking when you're confronted with a problem. I'm, I'm still working on this a lot. I can get to the right answer eventually. But when you're confronted with a problem, when Jesus is confronted with a problem, he just thinks about it differently than we do. Great example. One time a man, he, so Jesus goes to the land of the Gadarenes, and a man comes running towards him, in whom are 2,000 demons. The man is naked. He's been bound with chains, and none of these chains can hold him. I want you to put this in modern terms. Let's imagine you were walking down the street, and you see a totally crazy person, naked, with 2,000 demons, running towards you. 
How many of you are excited by that situation? <laughs> Most of us are thinking, wow, I need to get out of here. We're looking around. <laughs> What's going on? I've, I've ministered to people with a couple demons. 2,000 is a lot. So that's, that's based on it. He said he was legion. And so th th there may not be 2,000. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the point is when the gathering demoniac is coming towards Jesus, Jesus isn't thinking, oh, no. What Jesus is thinking is, here comes my evangelist. He is. He sees past the problem. And he, he says, none of these demons are any problem because I've changed the way I think and I'm aware of this kingdom. My kingdom is greater than that kingdom. The kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. And I, by the finger of God, I'm going to cast these demons out of this person. And then that guy, if you read the story, he goes and evangelizes the whole countryside. How do you know when your mind's being renewed? When you can look at problems and see the potential. Yes. And you really get there when it's the first movement of your heart. That's the hard part. <laughs> I, can, I can usually get there, but, but it's not always the first movement of my heart. We want to build here a, a culture that thinks this way. I want to have this culture in my family. I want to have a culture where it's normal for miracles to occur, and I genuinely expect them to happen. The question is, why has it been so difficult for our Western culture to, to see this stuff happen and to see miracles occur? If you listen to any major person that travels and prays for the sick, usually they will say, if you go to some other country, Africa, South America, whatever, a lot of times they'll see more miracles there. Now, I will say this, that's changing. I was at a... Uh, a conference a couple years ago with Randy Clark, and he did some praying from the front, and just a vast number of people got healed, and he keeps records of all this stuff. He said it was the largest breakthrough he's ever had in America, wow. numeric breakthrough. It's changing. The culture here is shifting. I'm really encouraged by it. There's more miracles happening now than, than ever have in, in America. So we need to, part of the problem is that, that people have been so down on it forever and think, well, you can't get people healed in America. No, you can I've seen it happen. So don't think that way. But anyway, why is it, though, that it seems like it's been more difficult for Westerners? I'm going to take you through just a little bit of history. Broadly speaking, in my opinion, it's because of the influ two influences, Protestantism and, and the Enlightenment. Um, I'm thankful for both of those things. I'll explain in a minute. But any movement, any movement tends to swing the pendulum a little bit too far. And you can, you can, there's negative side effects. After 1517, when Martin Luther uh, starts the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church comes to him and they, they start to criticize him and say, what the stuff you're preaching, it can't be right. And one of the arguments that they leveled against him was, our theology has to be correct because we have all these miracles in our church history. Assuming this, this belief, miracles affirm specific doctrines. Martin Luther needed to respond to this. And here's the danger, you know, when you're, you're trying to create theology in response to an attack. You don't want to do that. 
That's why I don't try to answer certain questions, because I'm not, I'm not going to do it as a response to an attack. I want to do it as a response to my father. But Martin Luther, he feels the need to answer this. He's got two choices. What I believe he should have said was, miracles don't validate specific doctrines. They only validate the fact that Jesus is alive. I was at a meeting one time where there was a, a famous minister, and he taught what I think theologically was the worst message I've ever heard. And I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> but he, he took the worst part of Arminianism and combined it with the worst part of Calvinism and, and sprinkled some Trinitarian heresy on top of it. It was not good. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean. But, but here's the deal. I don't, I don't care about all that because the guy's not a theologian. He hadn't read about any of this stuff. I've read about the formation of the doctrine of the Trinity and stuff. So I know about some of this stuff. I have a different calling than he does. All right? He probably shouldn't have been teaching any of that stuff because he didn't know what he was talking about. But then he went and prayed for the sick, and a whole bunch of people got healed. It was really powerful. One of the most powerful meetings I've ever seen. If those miracles validated that guy's doctrine, then for 2,000 years, the church has had the doctrine of the Trinity wrong. Okay? The, the church doesn't have it wrong. There is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay? It's, it, it, the, the church got that right. It took, it took a while to figure that out. Th those miracles testified to the fact that Jesus was alive. And if you'll pray for the sick in faith, Jesus loves people. He's not waiting for you to have perfect theology to heal somebody. Because right. if he was, nobody would ever get healed. <laughs> what Luther should have said was that miracles don't validate specific doctrines. But instead, he called into question the validity of the Catholic Church's miracles. He said, well, I'm not sure I believe in all these miracles that you say that you have. Luther did believe in miracles, but he started to, to question what the Catholic Church said. So Luther himself believed in miracles, but the Protestant Reformation began, because of what Luther did, it began to push Protestantism towards widespread skepticism of anything supernatural. And it resulted in two doctrines which... Um, permeated the church and, and still do. One is cessationism. That's the belief that miracles either ceased with the canonization of Scripture or with the death of the apostles. So there were miracles, but there aren't any more. Then there's the other belief, which is called liberalism, which is not political liberalism. It's, it's theological liberalism, which is the belief that miracles never occurred and that the stories in the Bible are basically moral parables. Jesus didn't actually heal people. It was, a, it was supposed to teach us a moral principle. Does that make sense? So if you have theologies that say, now, now typically liberalism and, and cessationism, the people in those camps typically are violently opposed to one another, but they agree that miracles don't occur anymore. If you have that pervasive belief in the culture, which, which influenced you know, large parts of Europe, uh, that makes it hard for miracles to happen because nobody's believing in them. And then later, the Enlightenment happened, which exalted reason. In France, they actually set up a statue to reason. They, they tore down you know, the, 
church's stuff and they put reason up there and they started to worship reason. Well, reason is good, and I'm thankful for science, and I'm thankful for all the things that we've, we've learned from science, but you can, you can go too far. These two movements together, they rejected what they called hocus-pocus. Anybody heard that phrase? Yes. Hocus-pocus, where that phrase comes from is when the priest in the Catholic Church would transubstantiate the bread. When he'd turn the bread into the, into the body of Jesus, he would say a phrase in Latin which sounds like hocus-pocus. <laughs> the Protestants looked at that and they said, we don't believe in all that hocus-pocus stuff. Now, a lot, of us, a lot of us look at that, yeah, I don't believe in any of that. Okay, look, I, I'm okay with you having some skepticism about some miraculous phenomena. Some of that's healthy. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Catholic Church at the Pro Protestant Reformation that was not good. No. That's why the Reformation happened. So some degree of skepticism is good, but what we tend to do is, is push the pendulum too far and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. And in Western societies, we've pretty much said there is nothing supernatural. All we've got is this material world that you can experience with your five senses. The problem with that is it leaves a vast hole in the human heart. Because people want supernatural experiences. They do. And we've seen that, a major recurrence of that, in, in our society today. That's why uh, New Age is so popular and Reiki and all these kinds of things where people are trying to have a spiritual experience. The, the church has, in my opinion, dropped the ball on this because we've got a lot of people that are, you know, seeking some sort of genuine spiritual experience, and the church has said, well, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, if the church doesn't believe in it, where are they go they're going to go have a demonic spiritual experience. Yes. Amen. Letter D, I'm thankful for both the Protestant Reformation. Thank God for grace. Everybody say, thank God, thank God. for grace. <laughs> but you can believe in grace and believe in miracles. And we're thankful for the Enlightenment. Thank God for the air conditioning. <laughs> it is cold outside. Thank God for the heater. I'm not mad at scientists at all. Thank God for science. But you can believe in science and still believe in something that supersedes science. Here's the question. How do we get back to having a culture of miracles? By repenting of lies and embracing truths. I wanted to talk real quickly about five specific lies that, that we want. Remember what Jesus said, right? There's, a, there's another kingdom that we've got to have access to, but you've got to repent. We've got to change our mind and believe the gospel. So, what are some lies that people believe? Well, we already talked about one. One is that miracles never happen. I think probably most people in the room have already repented of that. But a lot of us believe they seldom happen or they only happen for special slash holy people. No, they don't. I've seen a lot of miracles and I'm certainly not a special holy person. Another lie is that to believe in miracles, you've got to renounce education, science, medicine, etc. I was going to bring this book. I forgot to bring it. You ought to buy Randy Clark's book. 
It's called Eyewitness to Miracles. Thank you. Um, it's a great book. It's just testimony after testimony, all these miracles he's seen in his, in his uh, ministry. But then he goes through this research that he did. He did his doctoral dissertation on the effects of prayer on a specific type of physical infirmity. And he invited uh, researchers. He, does, he, taught, he taught this stuff at Harvard Medical School. He, he invites um, researchers and stuff to come uh, interview his people before and after prayer. He follows up with them to make sure they're still healed, all this kind of stuff. He, he goes through the research. And he says in this book, which it was really, it, it struck home to me. He, he read in one of these um, Reiki practitioners' books. I forget who the, the first person that kind of invented this deal. But she, she said this in her book. This person's opposed to the kingdom of God. She said, we do this Reiki and we see breakthrough. The Christians see a lot better stuff than we do. But we will take the time to have it medically documented and they're too lazy to do it. And they have. And now sometimes your insurance will pay for you to go have that stuff done. That's pretty serious. How many of you would like it if your insurance would pay me if I prayed for you? <laughs> it ought to. Prayer works. Randy's been working on this. Now, I don't, I don't have the resources to do it, but he cares about this stuff, and so he's, he's medically documenting this stuff because he cares about the culture, and he's trying to shift how people think about this stuff. And the, the, the crazy part is he went to, like, I think, I think it was Harvard. He went to one of these major Ivy League schools and was doing this seminar about healing, and he said none of the religion people, none of the religious students showed up, but all the, all the medical students did. Why is that? Well, because all the religion people are told, well, there is no supernatural. But the medical people just care about somebody getting better. Number three. Lie number three. God doesn't care whether I believe in miracles or not. Well, God loves you regardless. Is that true? But Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to believe God. The whole Christian life is predicated on the belief in a miracle. The resurrection of Jesus. God wants us to live lives of faith. It blesses Him when we, when we believe and go after stuff and pray for stuff. Well, Pastor, what if I pray for somebody and nothing happens? God's proud of you for taking the risk. Amen. Number four. Sometimes people will say this to me, Pastor, what you're doing, you're just, you're giving people a bunch of false hope. Believing in miracles gives people false hope. I agree, if there were no miracles, telling people that there were would be a horrific thing to do. But it's a demonstrable and objective fact that there are miracles and that they do happen. And so I'm not giving people false hope. What I'm doing is trying to live out Proverbs 13, 12. Proverbs 13, 12 says, when hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. If that's all you read, what you're going to be tempted to do is lower your expectations to protect your heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It says that, right? Yeah. 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I don't want my heart to be sick. I'm going to ha quit having so much hope. You know what the second half of the verse says? But when the desire comes, it is the tree of life. That means that the tree of life is hiding on the other side of the pain of disappointment. If I lower my expectations and I live with diminished hope because I'm afraid of pain, I will miss out on what it means to truly be alive. I don't want to live that way. I, I, I've faced terrible disappointment. Disappointment's hard. But what's harder is not being fully alive. Amen. We want to live with radical hope. And, and so, well, but pastor, what happens if, if we have disappointment? Well, the thing the church has done that's bad is we, is we eat our wounded and we shoot the people that had the disappointment. That's not good. That's not what we're talking about. We love you if you have disappointment. What we're going to do is cry with you. The Bible says to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. So I don't understand everything in life, but I'm, we'll be there. We'll love you through it. But then we're, we're going to keep believing God. We're just not going to back off believing God. And then lastly, this belief that, that God is controlling everything, so what I believe doesn't matter. Well, I've talked about this a bunch, so I'm not going to go back over it again. But look just real quickly at James 1. Hebrews, James 5 through 7. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Does God want people to have wisdom? Does it say he wants people to have wisdom? Does he give to all men liberally? But, verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave tossed in the sea and driven and, and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Well, what that says is that you can ask God for wisdom, but what, what you believe in your heart affects what you receive and whether or not you receive the wisdom. Is it possible for you to ask God for wisdom and you not receive it? No. It is. Because it says right there, if, if, if I ask God for wisdom and then I don't, and I'm waver about it, I might not get the wisdom that I'm after. Why is that? Well, because God's, God's not controlling everything, and not everything that, that He wants to happen happens. Now, that's not the only thing that holds back. Don't make a law out of that. That's not the only thing that holds back stuff from happening. But, but we believe that, that what you believe matters. And, and that's demonstrably true culturally. Because for a long time, the culture in America believed less in miracles than cultures in other parts of the world which in my opinion is one of the reasons we saw less breakthrough here. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not the only reason, but it's one of them. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right. You're very quiet today. <laughs> Hopefully it's all right. We want, to, we want to change the way that we think so that we can have access to all that God has for us. We love you.
All right, let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to believe with you for a miracle. I know miracles are true. I could look out here. I could point to some of you that'd be dead if it wasn't for Jesus. Literally. One time, I, a, a guy in our old church in Colorado, he came in and he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and he brought us the diagnosis. And so we all gathered around him. We prayed for him. And he went back there a week later, they retested him, and he brought us the other paper, and I held both papers in my hand. One said, diagnosis, Hodgkin's lymphoma. The other one said, healed, no cancer, no problem. Medically documented. It's real. Jesus is real. I want to change the way that I think so that I see problems through that light. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here in just a second. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're amazing, that you want us to think right, get rid of our stinking thinking and believe big. And Lord, if there's people that are, their hearts are hurt because of the pain of past disappointment, we thank you for, for healing that. We thank you for loving them, and we love them. And, and Lord, we thank you for helping them to hope again and to believe again. We just love you. We thank you for helping the Chiefs in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>